and uh, that, that song just is uh, so important to my life, and uh, I pray today is the day that you know that he is your king, amen? Um, go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians chapter number two is where we're going to uh, kind of hang out today, um, I'm going to kind of, it's going to take a while for us to get into it, so just, just know it's going to be one of those sermons again, um, but I, I, I've been in Winston-Salem uh, all weekend uh, with my team. Many of you know that I have taken a journey in the financial world, and I have two of my teammates here all the way from uh, Florida uh, that have come to see us today, uh, Brandy and Belinda, and it's so good uh, to finally meet them face-to-face and not be on a, uh, on a computer screen, and uh, we are real, and so that, that's really cool uh, for me today, and they've come uh, to be with us. So, so Brandy, Belinda, thank y'all uh, for being here today with us. I've titled our message today, When the Gospel Challenges Us. Uh, can we disagree this morning that the gospel message sometimes can challenge us as believers? You know, when we, when we look at this, and we've, we've been in the series for uh, five weeks now, uh, I've loved studying it, I've loved preparing for it, uh, but I especially love this passage that we are going to be in today. And, and how many times, or how many of us know that the gospel really is a good thing for us? Like, it's a, it's a really good thing. How many of us really know that if we just look at it at a broad, the gospel can sometimes challenge us when we open up our Bibles and we read it, or sometimes you hear a message on Sunday mornings, it sometimes challenges you. I, I've referenced this passage uh, a few times already uh, through these five weeks. Uh, we have finally made it to the point uh, where two preachers are going to fight it out. Now, this is like Benny getting up here on the stage today, and, and me and him are arguing back and forth. How many of you have ever seen two preachers argue before? Ever seen that before? You don't have to raise your hand. We don't want to know about it. Uh, uh, but this passage is a great backstory. Um, in Galatians 2, Paul, Paul has been dealing so much uh, with the Christian life throughout the first uh, chapter and a half. And, and he knows that the gospel changes you and that the gospel is enough. And we heard last week that Jesus plus anything else equals religion. And hopefully that statement last week kind of uh, changed your outlook on some things in your life. Hopefully that statement kind of resonated with you. And so Paul is on this train of how the gospel is enough. Uh, that if anything else was uh, to take its place, then, then it is uh, void at that moment. The gospel is enough. But we don't need to change anything about it. What Paul is going to do is he's going to travel through these next four verses, and he's going to tell us of a, a preacher named Peter uh, who he was calling out for practically being a hypocrite. Uh, that's what Paul was doing. And the reason he does that is because this gospel plus nothing is everything, and some of these Christian leaders wasn't even living out what they were preaching. And so Paul had to give an example of it right in the middle of chapter 2. I don't know why he put it there. For whatever reason, he's probably got scatterbrained like me. And uh, he was writing chapter 2 of Galatians like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about Peter. This is like the heavyweight battle between two of the strongest leaders in the New Testament church. And the Apostle Paul brings Peter into this because he has some character issues that were going on. Peter was a, an absolutely great preacher. In fact, Peter preached the very first sermon 
of the New Testament where we saw 3,000 people had been saved. Peter had moments in the early church where people would follow his shadow and they would get healed. How many of us wish we had that kind of power of the gospel today? You know, like, but, but there was a flaw in Peter. And it was a, a, a character thing in some areas of him as a, as a Christian and also as a Christian leader. You know, we often uh, hold our Christian leaders to this high standard. And this was the case with Peter. You know, and, 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 and this is the thing with Peter. He, he was the father of the early church. Paul didn't have personal issues with Peter. It, it was a personal standpoint. He didn't have a, a personal issue with his wardrobe. He didn't have a personal issue with the preaching style that he had. But Paul did have obvious issues with Peter, and it was big enough that he was going to have a confrontation about it that Paul felt like he needed to write about. And so let me ask you this question. How many of us live every day to have confrontation with somebody else. John, just, just keep your hand down, buddy. Uh, you know, I, I'm not surprised. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, there are people, and, and, and let's pray for them today, John. We're going to pray for you. That all they do is wake up every single morning to get out that phone and to call that person to say, hey, guess what I heard today? Y'all know who I'm talking about. There's, there's, you know. John, I'll never look at you the same, buddy. <laughs> You've stopped me in my tracks. Now I've lost my train of thought. You know, no, seriously. Like sometimes we just, we just have in that mind that confrontation is what's needed and it's not. And, and many times I've seen it in our churches. I've seen it in our association. I've seen it throughout our state. I've been in the room with, with 70 and 80 pastors in North Carolina, and all we want to do is confront each other about things that has nothing to do with this. Listen, the gospel is enough. It's enough. We're, we're going to join churches this week. There's going to be about six churches that's involved in this revival. And my heart is to see churches be unified. It doesn't matter about worship style. It doesn't matter about Bible translation. Some of those things may matter to those six churches. But to me, I just want to bring people together to bring unity in the gospel and unity in the community. Because the thing is, hey, this is what changes their life. It ain't going to be what I preach on Tuesday night. It's going to be the gospel. And listen, I'll, I'll, disclaimer, Tuesday night, you're going to hear a sermon that, that you heard about three weeks ago. One gospel. One gospel, that's it. It doesn't matter about anything else. As long as we are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, lives can be saved and lives can be transformed through His Word. Now, listen. There's people, though, they just want conflict. That's it. That's all they want. They, they want conflict. They want you to, to, to put the wrong word on Facebook so they can blaster you all over social media. It's happened to me before. Uh, people take me the wrong way sometimes. Sometimes I say things, and look, I'm not perfect, okay? I'll just go ahead and say it. There are times where I preach things on Sunday mornings. It may come out a different way than what I meant it, but listen... We hold those things, and the next thing you know, it becomes this huge thing, and the whole community knows about it. 
Now, look, now, nowadays we're on Facebook Live. Like, I couldn't stand the idea of being on Facebook every Sunday when we first started doing that. People can go back from two years ago and hear a message I preach, and they can use that against me. And it's all, always out of context. Always. And so Paul had this high view. Jesus is Lord. Jesus saves. We need to live our lives according to the gospel, and that he wanted nothing to come in the way of that. Let me give you some scripture. Philippians 1. Paul says, whatever happens in your life, live in such a way that will honor the gospel. You know, we did the marriage series. Uh, I think it was back in like February, February, March. We said from this day forward, we're going to do everything that we can, no matter what's happened in your life, no matter what's happened in your marriage, no matter what's happened in your relationships, we're going to live this day forward so that we can honor Jesus Christ. In Corinthians, Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all for the glory of Jesus. The gospel has value in our lives. It changes our lives. It transforms us so that we need to be people that live with an integrity towards the gospel. That's what Paul's base point was he was using in order to confront others of wrongdoing. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem at this time. And he says, I'm probably going to die there. That's what Paul says, but that doesn't matter to me. He says, the only thing that matters to me is that every person that I meet hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine, just for a moment, living in modern-day terms? Okay, how many of you go to McDonald's in the morning, Monday through Friday, or at least one, one morning a week, or maybe the coffee shop? You go up to that window, you get your coffee, you get your breakfast, or whatever it is. The cashier hands you the money back. You say, thank you. Hey, do you know Jesus? That's what Paul was doing. You go to Food Lion. Nowadays, we got self-checkout, but guess what? We still got employees right there at the self-checkout, okay? You go to the self-checkout, you do your thing. Uh, the employees are doing their job. They're, they're working hard. Next thing you know, they say, have a good day. Hey, do you know the gospel? Do you know Jesus? That's what Paul was doing. Hey, guess what? You go to the gas station. How many of you have to fill up like every three or four days like I do nowadays? Um, I'm telling you, that gasoline just goes through your car. Um, Anyways, you know, you get to the gas station, you go in, you get you a little snack, cashier hands you the money, and you say, hey, can I ask you a question? Do you know the gospel? That's what Paul was doing, and that's how he was reaching people. Listen, they're not going to come through the doors. It's not going to happen. If we're waiting for Friends and Family Day to fill this sanctuary with people, and we put no action into it, that's not going to fill the church. The only way we're going to fill the church is if we get out there and we do something about it. We say, oh, I want, I want visitors. Oh, I want my friends to come. I want my family to come. I want my neighbors and my coworkers to come. They can't come if we don't invite them. They can't hear the gospel if we're not inviting them to hear the gospel. It's not going to happen. You know, last week we mentioned the accountability to the gospel as well, those that were around him to encourage him. We saw Barnabas and Titus. I told you it was going to be a long runway. Uh, he kept the gospel the main thing. He talked about it everywhere. Paul was quick to care about those not as fortunate. We said that was the single mother, the widow, the orphan, the poor. We look at them and we are to bless them. But then very quickly, we take a hard turn where he begins to address the hypocrisy of Peter. As I said, Peter's a great leader in the church. He was the best friend of Jesus. He was the only one in human history to walk on water. Can you imagine 
What a great resume that Peter had. He saw dead people raised to life. Can you imagine a church is looking at his resume like, man, that guy saw dead people come to life. And that guy walked on water. Like, his, his resume's at the top. He was the first preacher of the New Testament. Nobody had ever done it before. He was first. Apparently, he was a struggling hypocrite, though. And Paul says the gospel must confront our sin and must confront hypocrisy. It shows us that no one should be exempt from being confronted by the gospel. It challenges us. The gospel was, was shared clearly and properly. And understand it. Listen, listen when, when we share it clearly, then I promise you it will confront sin. You don't get to the gospel personally and let the spirit confront you like it doesn't happen that way our, our fleshly desires take over it's almost like saying i'm going to join the marine corps but i'm not going to do pt okay i'm going to become a doctor but i'm not going to study for it i'm going to become a a, a a a book writer but never write a book you know paul paul had gone to jerusalem and he has Seeing Peter, James, and John, this is kind of setting the stage. It's going to help us understand all this a little bit more. He went to Jerusalem, and he went up there for 14, he, after 14 years of preaching the gospel, he goes to Jerusalem. He wanted to make sure he was preaching the right stuff. And they talked about a number of things. They talked about Gentiles. They talked about outsiders. They talked about Jews. And they were talking about how all of this uh, Gentile stuff with the circumcision things that we talked about last week and how they were following these religious laws. Are we going to have to do that? And these guys were saying to Paul, no, they just need to have faith in Jesus that he died and that he resurrected for them. And as they're catching up on life, Paul probably does this. He has a face-to-face -face conflict with Peter at that moment. Such a big deal that Paul needed to write about. And he wrote about it again in Acts chapter 15. So we can see that that gospel challenges us. But the first thing I want us to see in this passage as we dive in today is biblical conflict is face-to-face -face conflict. Biblical conflict is face-to-face -face conflict. You know, we live in a day and time where, uh, I'll be honest, I'm sick of the cell phone. <laughs> uh, we, we're, we're so quick to send a text message. We're so quick to send a Facebook message. We're so quick to call. Listen, in my day growing up, we did it face-to-face. -face. Um, I, I remember uh, any time that uh, growing up in the church that, uh, that my dad was pastoring, if somebody had conflict, they, they came to him. You know, they came, knocked on the door, whatever they needed to do. I, I raised the question, how many of us like conflict? John only raised his hand. We won't, we won't count that against them. But there, there's some serious issues in this moment. With Peter and Paul, Peter struggled with it, and I'm pretty sure many of us struggle with the same issue, if we're, if we're honest. Basically, he was acting one way in front of converts uh, to Jesus that came from the Jewish tradition, but then he was going a totally different way and acting totally different to the, to the Gentile backgrounds. That's what was going on. So here's what this would look like. He would be talking to a, a Gentile convert. He's out relaxing. He's doing his thing. He's laid back. He's talking like a Gentile. He's dressed like a Gentile. He's eating and drinking like a Gentile. Whatever that looked like. He wasn't worried about food regulations. None of that stuff. But as soon as Jewish converts showed up, what Paul would do is convert to Jewish. He would start acting like a Jewish person. He would start drinking and eating like a Jewish person. And, and, and all of a sudden, Paul saw that stuff. 
And, and Peter would start straightening up in, the, in that modern day. He'd, he'd get the suit and tie out. Okay, he'd talk a different way. He'd act a different way. But the problem is, he'd be acting like a Jew when he really wasn't. He's being a hypocrite, as Paul called him. Two-faced. Putting on a mask in front of a group of church people and then putting on a totally different mask in front of another group. Ever hear the phrase, the church is full love? Hypocrites. Well, it is here too. Right here in this passage, we see it. It's always been that way. You know why? Because we are human, we have issues, and we have problems. Paul was this blunt man. He told it like it was. I love reading Paul's letters. They say Paul was short, and that he had an attitude about him. Paul had a no-nonsense personality. I can imagine face-to-face conflict with Peter was probably pretty strong. That was, a, that was probably something everybody wanted to see. You talk about the wrestling match at the Rowan County Fair. This would have been the all-out brawl. Well, we had a great time at the fair this week, by the way. Uh, look at how he, he describes it in verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. We're finally here, okay? It only took me 20 minutes. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. In other words... He is already living a condemned, hypocritical life. So Paul says, I told him to his face. That's what I did. Paul just comes out and says it. Paul didn't sugarcoat anything. He didn't look at this, and he's like, here's what what Paul didn't do. He didn't go behind Peter's back. He didn't go gossip about Peter. He didn't go prayer requesting about Peter's issues. He didn't go post about it on social media. He didn't go passive-aggressive in a meeting and roundabout just call him out. No, he went straight to his face, and he had a face-to-face confrontation with Peter. That's what he did. Can I just tell you, it's the right way to handle conflict. Listen, I, I know this message is hard. It's hard for me. Uh, we've, we've had some, uh, in our five years, we've had some tough stuff that, that, that's had to be dealt with. Um, the Lord has, has guided us in that. He has protected us. Listen, it's biblical. And, and, and as a pastor, like I am going to do my very best to be biblical in all things. And church, I pray that you will as well. If somebody has offended you or there's a bit of conflict, just go to them. I, look, I like to think I'm a pretty approachable guy. Like, Am I, am I hard to approach? Uh, I hope not. Like I, I hope who you see on Sunday is who you see throughout the week. Like uh, the way I talk, I don't I don't change my voice on Sunday mornings to uh, to sound to sound spiritual. I don't have the radio announcer voice. Sometimes I wish I had more of a strong preaching voice like some of these other guys do. I'm just me. Okay, uh, I, I I dress like I do during the week, and you know I I just want to be real with you. I want to be raw with you. I, I don't think. Putting on a suit and tie uh, is going to make me any more spiritual than it is if I'm wearing this. I really don't. I, I used to be that way. Okay? I used to be that guy, three-piece suit every Sunday morning. I used to have a little hanky hanging out of my, like, uh, I was looking pretty fly, I'm just going to say. Uh, uh, you may see me this week in a suit, by the way. Uh, if you come Tuesday night, you, you might get it. I don't know yet. Uh, but I do like, I like dressing up. I do, but you know what I realized when I planted the church? I just need to look like the people. 
wanted to look like the community. And, and it, didn't, it didn't change anything that happens in here. It really doesn't. And, and look, we've had, we've had people not come back to our church because of my dress. And that's okay. That's okay. There's no judgment. That's not what they were looking for. I get it. Because look, I, I came from that lifestyle. Uh, my dad, my brother, you go Pittsburgh Baptist Church in, in Pittsburgh, and you're going to see him in a suit. It's okay. Uh, I, I've been talked about. <laughs> uh, my family gives me a hard time, but they've realized, hey, the gospel hasn't changed anything. Like, it, it's, it's the same. And so this real issue with Peter, he, he dealt with it like they were adults. Now, look, it, it was evident Paul loved God, but he also loved Peter. He loved people. He wasn't trying to start a fight. He was just trying to go to Peter so he wouldn't be hypocritical. He was trying to help a brother out. This is also the way Jesus would have handled things too. Jesus says in Matthew chapter number 18 that if somebody offends you or upsets you, you who are offended go in private and tell them that you feel offended. This is what we do. Someone has been offended, and this is what we say. I've heard it so many times. I'm not talking to them until they come to me and apologize. Look, they ain't coming to you to apologize. They're the ones that offended you. <laughs> like they're, not, they're not coming. Jesus says they're not coming to apologize to you. But what Jesus does say is go to that person that is offended. Go to a private to them face to face and do it privately. If you don't, don't bring a group with you. You don't tell everybody on the way there. Look, typically what happens when we go about it biblically is you go and talk to that person, and nine out of ten times, it's just something that you misunderstood. Honestly. Most of the time you hear, I did not mean it that way. Look, I, I don't, if I offend you because of something in the gospel, I'm not going to apologize for that. But most of the time, if it's something on a personal note, a lot of times it's, I don't remember what I said. Uh, I don't filter my thoughts enough. Hey, look, sometimes we just say things that, that we really didn't mean it that way. And we're like, oh, I'm sorry. Everything's good. That's the approach I want to take unless it's just something way out there in right field. It's a biblical conviction that I stand by or this church is going to stand by. And if they don't listen to you, the Bible then says it instructs us to bring one or two spiritual friends along. That's after the first try, by the way. If it's just eating you up at night, you can't sleep, yeah, then go the second time, bring some people with you, sit down and have a conversation. If it still isn't resolved, go to one of our ministry leaders, possibly even the main leadership team of the church, and help bring restoration. We want to bring restoration in all things. In all things. Face-to-face -face is the best way. Paul models it here. Jesus teaches about it in Matthew 18. That's what happens in our lives. We have to be willing to speak bluntly about conflict and offense. And, and listen, when, when, when you're on the receiving end of that, be humble and just listen. Uh, one thing that I've learned in coaching church planners across the state of North Carolina is about 80% of the conversation is me listening to that planner. It's not me speaking to them. It's not me trying to tell them, hey, this is what I would do. It's just listening. And listen, most of our lives, listening is so key. And, and, and I'm trying to learn just to listen and not speak as much. Uh, usually when I speak, that's when I mess things up anyway. Uh, 
Paul could have easily held these issues in with Peter. He could have talked about him behind his back. But instead, he loved God and he loved Peter enough to go to their face. And if it's a, a church leader that's caught up in sin, if it's a, a Bible study leader, a leadership member, uh, be willing to confront the sin. If it's uh, a pastor, be willing to speak up and, and hold them accountable. Please hold me accountable. We must be willing to go face to face because they stand condemned. The, the risk of not doing so is that they fall deeper into that sin. They become hostile. And ultimately, we would be allowing them to go into a very dark spot in their life if we don't confront it. Now, I want to give you a few guiding principles for dealing with conflict. One, talk to the person, not about the person. Talk to the person, not about the person. Did you know gossip is not a spiritual gift? <laughs> it's not. Instead of talking about the person to others, go talk to them. The older I get, the more I lead, the easier it is for me to understand this very thing. Gossip is not in the fruit of the Spirit either. Secondly, don't carry offense if you're not going to confront it. This is, a, this is a, an out. Some will say, I, I don't want to confront people. Then don't carry offense. Um, at you those people, they're not losing sleep over it, I promise you. If it bothers you so much that you won't confront it, just unfollow them on, on social media, whatever it takes. That's bothering you. Three, believe the best in others, not the worst. Believe the best in others, not the worst. Some people didn't mean what you thought they said. Look, I, I told you, I do, I do public speaking all the time. Um, uh, just this week, um, I'm, I'm here on Tuesday, or I, I'm preaching this morning. Uh, I go to Milford Hills on Tuesday night. I'm leading a devotion on Wednesday morning. I have a speaking engagement on Thursday afternoon. I'm going to be speaking four times in a matter of four days. Do you think I'm going to say something that I probably shouldn't say in one of those in one of those messages? Probably so. And I and, and this is what happens. I get home. I, list, I re-listen to my message a lot of times, either on Sunday evening or Monday morning, and I'm like, oh, I did it again. <laughs> you that have preached before, you do that to yourself, son? Like anybody, anybody hate listening to themselves? Um, I absolutely do. And so I get, I get caught up, and at some point in every message, I'm sitting back saying, what did I just say? Like, did I, did I really just say that? I feel for every pre preacher that gets their words mixed up like I do sometimes. Believe the best. You know that, that maybe they didn't mean it the way you heard it. You know it goes past preaching, though. Maybe it's at home, and the husband or the wife didn't really mean what they said. Maybe my pastor didn't get my email, or, or he was driving, or he was super busy when it came through, and he just forgot to respond. Uh, look, there was a day this week that I always, always look back over my text messages and stuff at the end of the day. There was a day this week that I texted 26 people in a matter of about four hours. My phone goes off all day, every day. Look, I've missed messages now. <laughs> all day. There are going to be times where I overlook a notification. I'm not ignoring you. I'm not. I promise you, I'll get to it. But believe the best in others, not the worst. Fourth, gospel people refuse to gossip, gossip to and about others. Don't talk about it to others if you're not willing to talk about it in person. I love that Paul modeled this for us. He says, I went to Peter face to face. Isn't it ironic we gain that truth from this and then Paul is writing about it? 
wonder if he and Peter discuss, hey, that worked out great. Mind if I write about it? <laughs> you know? Uh, who knows? Anyways, number five, learn to let go and move on. And this is, this is something I'm trying to learn. Uh, I haven't got there yet. Um, there are things that have happened over the last 20 years of my life that I have never let go of. And I've yet to move on. Can I just share something? Honestly, this month has been one of the hardest months of my ministry. Um, nothing that you have done. Uh, you, you have loved my family well. But look, I've been battling. And what's happened is all of these things that have kind of got pushed under the rug for many years, they're now coming back out. It's not that anything that anybody has done is things that I didn't deal with. And I'm having to deal with it for the first time ever. If not, I'm going to go mentally insane. And, and I'll tell you, uh, I'm two weeks past some of that stuff. Uh, I'm doing better. I'm getting there. I thank you for the prayers. I feel your prayers. Keep praying for me. Um, but I've got to learn to let go of some stuff in my life, some things that have happened, some people that have talked to me along the way, some things that I've heard. I heard this said a few years ago, to harbor unforgiveness and to carry offenses like drinking poison expecting the other person to die. You are ingesting the poison of unforgiveness. You are ingesting the poison, and you're hoping they get punished for it. And we just learn to let it go. As the great prophet Elsa said, let it go, let it go. You know, well, seriously. Seriously. Yeah. See, I told you, some things just take too far. Number two, number two. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. Anyone in this room struggle with sin? Some of y'all are lying. Uh, <laughs> the, str the struggle is real. Until the day that you die, you are going to struggle with your flesh. Can I say that again? Until the day that you die, you will struggle with your flesh. You're going to struggle in some sort. Every one of us think that we're better than somebody else. Every one of us. There is somebody out there that you think you are better of. That's just, that's just our flesh. Okay? We all struggle with that. You know Jesus taught about this one in one of his parables. It was the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Anybody remember that uh, parable? This tax collector comes to the temple, and he's, like, he's bowing down at the altar, and he's pleading for forgiveness, and, and, and the Pharisees come, and, and they drop... Uh, uh, pretty much what happened, they dropped their tithe off, okay? And he's like, at least I'm not like that guy, okay? So imagine, imagine you coming, okay? You're coming to give your offering. You're coming down here, and you see somebody pray, and you drop it off. on man, I'm glad I ain't like that guy, and you just hightail it out of there. That's what's going on in the parable. They're like, hey, this is what's, this is what's happening, and the Pharisee comes. And here's the thing, though. In one scenario, we see ourselves as a tax collector, Okay, I, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't really like tax collectors too much. Um, but but we're, some of us, we're, we're like that tax collector, and we're pleading to God for forgiveness. But in the other scenario, we're just like the Pharisee because we're like, well, I'm glad I'm not in that situation. I'm glad I'm not the one pleading this morning. But, but here we are. Jesus talks about in this other scenario where this guy, he owes this master a ton of money, like millions of dollars in our day. 
Okay, and, and the master says, you're going to be in prison. I'm going to put your whole family in prison, and you're going to be my slave. And the slave is begging and pleading and asking the master for forgiveness. Like, fine, you know what? I own it all anyways. You're forgiven. I don't need the money. Then it says that, that the servant went out of the house and through the court, and he saw a buddy that owed him like $5 American dollars. And this guy's like, he chokes this guy. You remember the story? Like, he, he chokes this guy, and, and all of a sudden, he says, give me my money. And the guy didn't have any, so he calls and gets this guy thrown into jail, and he becomes a slave. And the other master hears about it, and he goes all the way to this guy, and he's like, I forgave you millions of dollars in debt, and you're holding this guy accountable for $5. The struggle is real, y'all. It just is. We, we want to be the forgiving one. But in some instances, we want to be that guy that's choking the, out the next guy to attain whatever it is that we're looking for. But we see Peter in this passage. He was struggling with religious uh, elitism is what I call it. Verse 12. For before certain men came from James. So that's showing that the Hebrew... Uh, Christians that, that had come to faith in Christ, James is discipling Hebrews in faith in Christ. That's what that means. Before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. Peter would be eating with these Gentiles. He'd be eating Gentile foods, which weren't even kosher. They drank certain drinks. They taught certain ways. And then it says this, But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So in this context, Paul was saying Peter showed preference, Peter showed special treatment to the Gentile converts over the Jewish converts. When he's hanging out with the Gentiles, he's going to be letting his hair down, he's going to be doing whatever it looks like to be a Gentile, he's going to listen to their jokes, he's going to eat their food, he's going to drink their drinks, but as soon as the Jewish converts show up, he's going to tighten up his lifestyle, he's going to start uh, living religious again, he grew up studying about the coming Messiah, he grew up and was able to walk beside, walk on water with Jesus, the Messiah they had, had all been waiting on. He gave his life to Jesus. Hey, remember, he gave his life to Jesus. He was the first preacher. He saw thousands saved, but yet he has a problem. He has a problem. He prefers one group over another. He preferred one group of Christians than those that had been saved on the other side of the tracks. He liked that type of Christian more than he likes this other type of Christian. And he'd probably say, I'm glad those Gentiles got saved, but he preferred to hang out with his own kind. You ever heard that before? Something that we need to understand about this, to be Jewish was not your religion because to be Hebrew was your race. So when I said that, that Peter had a little bit of racism, Peter struggled with it a lot. And to be Jewish was your faith. If you didn't grow up in it or a particular denomination, then you just want to wash your hands of it. It's almost like this. I'm glad they got saved, but I'm glad they don't go to my church or hang out with me. When Peter saw that Peter was choosing Jewish people over, over Gentile people, when Peter saw that Paul was choosing this behavior and depending on uh, who was in the room would depend on how he would act. When he saw in modern day terms that he was pulling away from a different race or, or a different class, people that were broken, that didn't have the same history as him, Paul was saying, those are the one God assigned me to reach. 
Paul tells Peter, I was more Jewish than you ever were. But God has called me to reach them. He's called me to reach these people. And Paul says, uh, I'm, I'm called to reach those people far from the other backgrounds. You prefer them over them, and I'll definitely confront you to your face because that is not the gospel. And Peter was pulling away from this establishment of Jewish views. And this was a recurring issue for Peter. In fact, when, uh, when Jesus was living, Peter wanted to be in the leaders. If you, if you go through the New Testament and, and the Gospels, Peter always wanted to be at top. Even when Jesus was there, Peter wanted to be at top. Peter was sitting there like, why is Jesus out here? And, and remember, remember the, the, the woman at the well in Samaria? Let's go there for a second. Peter was sitting out there, and Jesus was out there talking to her in the middle of the day by himself. He cared so much about what people thought, and I believe there's a great deal in today's time about guarding your influence. But that's not the same as guarding your reputation for your sake. When Jesus was alive, Peter had this issue. In Acts chapter 10, there, there, there was a story that absolutely blew my mind. Hey, there was this Roman officer named Cornelius. He's a Roman. He's a Gentile. He was a devout man. He was a generous to the house of God. And he's praying about somebody coming along that will teach him how to get to heaven. The Lord assigns Peter to do this. But Peter has this race thing in his heart. And Jesus had to come from heaven to Peter and come down to him. It was this vision of Peter just killing and eating whatever he wanted to do, lobster, whatever, you name it. Peter says, no, Lord. Saying no to God never works, by the way. I, uh, if you've come to church to say, hey, to say no to God, it's not going to work out good for you. He says, I've never eaten anything unclean, and I'm not now. And God says, don't ever determine what I've deemed clean for you to eat unclean again. He uses this food vision to prep Peter's heart for the race issue. Because he would have struggled to go to Cornelius' heart, knowing the issue. Our Cornelius is this devout man, this generous man, because he was a Roman and not a Jew. Can you imagine Jesus having this conversation with God the Father? Jesus had just given his life on the cross. He's finally sitting on the right hand of God on the throne. He's like, Father, do I really have to go back down there? It's like this struggle that keeps on reoccurring for Peter. Peter had issues. If Peter's going to struggle with sin and sin and sin over and over again, then guess what? You and I are probably most likely going to as well. Peter had this real struggle. Now here's the thing, that our struggles are not something to embrace. Some of us aren't even necessarily struggling with those issues anymore. We've just decided to embrace them. Can I just tell you, because the struggle is real doesn't mean the devil gets to win. I've had to learn that this week. Uh, Philippians 1.27, whatever happens, live in a way that honors the gospel. 1 John 4.4 4 says, you are from God. You have overcome the devil. He that is in you is greater than this world. James 5.17 says, confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. Peter's greatest need here was to be healed from his pride from his elitism, from his racism, and the struggle was real for him. But our God is greater than your struggle. I promise you, 
I love this story. It shows this great humanity of these great leaders. Uh, Paul, Paul was a wonderful leader. He was a great pastor. Number three, lastly, really quick, hypocrisy hurts others. Hypocrisy hurts others. My hypocrisy, your hypocrisy, it hurts others around us. Nobody gets blessed with it. Look at verses 13 and 14. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with them, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? It comes back to the same thing very here at the end. If you were going to be saved, you need to become a Jewish Christian. But Paul here is saying, if you, he's calling Peter out. Like, look, now you're bringing the others down. You're now bringing the Jews down. You're bringing my own partner in the gospel, Barnabas, down. Now you've brought my guy into it. Paul is like, how are you going to do that when you aren't even consistent with the believer that you say you are? And look, my hypocrisy, your hypocrisy, my sin, your sin, my struggle, your struggle, it has an effect on all of those around you. It does. And now the people around Paul that he's been raising up are being affected by it. I don't know about you, but I get the most discouraged when I see people that I'm trying to hold up and they act one way towards me and then 30 minutes later, they're a totally different person. It discourages me so much. You know, there, this is a, a reason that people don't come to church. Let's just be honest. Because they see you act like this on Sunday morning, but then on Monday, you're doing whatever you want to do. And then you go on Friday night and Saturday night, and they see you living one way, but then you're going to be holy and righteous on Sunday, and you're going to be lifting up your hands, you're going to be praising the Lord, you're going to do whatever you want to do, but you ain't living it on the weekend. You're not doing anything that reflects Jesus on the weekend. And look, that, that has to do with our relationships, with the boyfriends and the girlfriends and our marriages. That has to do with our workplaces, how we talk, how we act. That has to do uh, with, the, with the restaurants that we go to, what we eat, what we drink. Look, everything that you do as a believer has a reflection. Everything, no matter if we like it or not, it does. Social media, I can keep going. It's pretty uncomfortable. Isn't it? I look at my life. If I'm a stumbling block for one person, I'm not doing my job. If one person falls because of me, I'm not doing my job. And that's through my words, through my actions, through the things that I do, through the places that I go, through the websites that I go to. Look, my book is an open life. You can ask my wife. I didn't mean to make that rhyme. Um, I'm a poet now, or, or a rapper. I'm a rapper. Uh, um, like my electronics is an open book to her. If she wants to see it, she can see it. 
If she wants to know what's going on in my life, she can know what's going on. I just tell her before she does it, do it carefully because you may see some text messages that may look different. Because of the conversations that I have during the day. I tell her I got nothing to hide. She can go on my browser history anytime she wants. It's an open book. My life is an open book to my family. You know why? Because I've had to put parameters in my life over time so that I would be held accountable. It used to be that if I went to a website that I wasn't supposed to go to, my brother got an email, my dad got an email, and Tiffany got an email. I put those parameters in my life. When I started Fruitland, I had such a sin problem that I hand-wrote my, my, uh, my papers because I didn't trust myself on a computer. And I guarded myself for years. And I still guard myself to the day because you know what? The flesh is weak. It's weak. And thank God that, that He has saved me from that from years ago. That the Lord has allowed me to get past that. But look, there's people in this room who probably have some sin problems. Guess what? You're not alone. We all deal with it. It's, what kind of parameters, what kind of guardrails are you putting in your life and setting up in your life so that you don't fall into the trap of Satan? Look, he wants to do anything and everything that he can to devour you. I'll be honest. If I had it my way, I'd go back to the old uh, Nokia brick that you could throw against a brick wall and it wouldn't bust. I would go back to that phone. But our life and my life today is so chaotic that I have to have a smartphone. I have to have access to Internet all day, every day. That's just the life that I live. There are days where I'm traveling and somebody's like, hey, did you see this on church track? And I'm like, hold on a second. I pull it up. Or, hey, did you see this on Facebook? I've got to get, I've got to get uh, my, my, my post approved or whatever. I'm like, hold up. I can't do that on a Nokia brick. <laughs> you just can't. We live in a day that is driven by electronic. But listen, electronics are deadly. And if, you, if you've got kids, safeguard those kids. Let me tell you, my daughter is six years old, but we went upstairs. We didn't have any guardrails on her stuff. And it, she won't watch anything bad, but she was watching a TV show that we didn't approve of, and she's six. So guess what we had to do? We've had to put guardrails on Riley so she doesn't watch stuff. It's smart. It's to, it's to guard them. Do it. Maybe you need to put some guardrails in your life. Maybe you need that account of, accountability partner, whatever it is. Matthew's gospel says, anyone who causes you to sin, it would be better for you to put a millstone around their neck. And Paul was serious about embracing the gospel message because Jesus was serious about embracing the gospel message. So as much as this sermon was much about this battle between Paul and Peter, and I talked to you about how to confront others and not living this hypocritical life, I know that can be daunting, I know that can be discouraging, but I just want to say something the truth of the gospel is so that it will hold you accountable. And I want you to love God enough and love the people that are around you enough that when the hard talks happen, those face-to-face -face conflicts take place because their soul may be in condemnation. 
Their soul is in the balance. And anyone who continually goes into this route of hypocrisy and talking about others is going to drift you further and further away from the, from the gospel. It's the nature of it all. Be willing to have the hard talks. For a second now, I just want you to put down the magnifying glass and hold up the mirror instead. And, and so many of us want to say, I want to be like Paul. I want to go face to face. But some of us are more like Peter. How are you doing when it comes to living an authentic Christian life? How are you doing when it comes to hating your sin? We hate everybody else's sin. We don't have a problem hating somebody else's sin. But we've yet to hate ours. Listen, I, I just want to be real with you for a moment if I can. I'm just gonna, can I tell you what makes me sick in this world? That we will straight up lie in front of somebody's face so that we don't hurt them. And we think it's okay. We will straight up be okay with sin and living in sin. Hey, listen, we're in a world today where we actually parade for their sin. We do. We, we live in, in a world today where the divorce rate is going up every single year and we celebrate it when divorce takes place. We celebrate when the boy or girl move in together and we parade that. We, we parade when somebody gets pregnant out of wedlock. We parade that. Listen, church, if we don't confront it, who's going to? And, I, and I've lived that life like I, I've <laughs> for so long. Look, I wasn't a perfect person. Thank God the Lord got a hold of me at 17 years old. There's no telling where I would be at. But thank God that the amazing love, how can it be that my king would die for me, was real that night. And that I came to know Jesus Christ because somebody confronted my sin in a message. And somebody was real with me and said, you know what? The way that you're living is not right. I want to hate the sin that's in my own life so that I can turn away from it. How are we doing that? Are you Peter in this text or are you Paul? Are you embracing sin in your life? Or are you just at a point of using excuses for the sin? This is how I was raised. Everybody in my family did it this way. This is how I'm going to do it. Everybody around me is doing it. I've already done it once. What's the difference now? Have you gone too far and now you're drinking? Now you're cussing? Whatever it is, have you gone too far in the relationship with the boyfriend, with the girlfriend, and now you're just going through the motions? Are you living the hypocritical life like Peter was? Are we refusing to help the other believers that want to try to speak truth in our life? And a message like this is so easy to be Paul. But how many of us, how many of us this morning just want to own up to the fact that we're more like Peter than we are Paul? I just beat you up for a moment now. Let me love on you for a moment. I want to be your pastor and tell you that you serve a God who absolutely loves you. He absolutely loves you. As our worship team comes, if you're living in this way, here's the deal. If you're living a Sunday morning with God lifestyle and doing whatever else you want to do, listen, God is not pleased with that. 
You're carrying that around as a believer, knowing that it's not what you should be doing. It's called conviction, and I know what that is. I know what it feels like. I don't need to go through your phone or your text messages. I don't need to go on your computer. I don't need to be a police on this because you know what a believer should be doing. Can I tell you something? God's not mad at you. I'm going to ask the worship team to go back to amazing love if we can do that. Can we do that? Sorry, Mike. Um, he's mad at He's mad that, that you're choosing to live as a slave to your sin and not as a son or daughter of the king. That's what he's upset at. He's bothered by that. He's not pleased with that kind of living. There's no telling how many we damage by living the lifestyle that we sometimes live. And we need to change direction. And we need to ask God to forgive us of where we've fallen short. In 1 John 1, 9, John says, if we confess our sin to God, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us from all of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, church, He will cleanse you. He will make you whole. He will forgive you. And now's the time that you do business with God and you turn from those sin. You turn from those evil ways. You confront it right here at the altar. And you say, you know what? I'm ready to go face to face with my sin. I'm ready to go face to face so that I can meet my maker one day face to face. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ personally. You've never given your life to him. Hey, I invite you to come. Get your life right. <laughs> the baptistry's still full, by the way. I didn't empty it. I just, I'm just having faith that God's going to send us somebody else. Sometimes you have to live by faith, right? And I'm praying that God would allow us to use that again next Sunday morning. I'm praying that God would save somebody's life right here this morning. Maybe there's somebody that's really dealing with their sin. Maybe they're living in a sinful lifestyle and they need to turn back to God today. Would you come? Let's pray. Lord, uh, Lord Jesus, we just ask you during this invitational time, God, would you move? God, would you move mightily? God, would you help us confront the sin that's in our life? God, I pray for that unbeliever that may be here this morning that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior of their life. God, I pray that you would call them out. Lord, I believe in a room this size, there's somebody here that's living that way. God, they don't have you in their life and they need you in their life. God, would you call them right now? Lord, I pray for those that are struggling in the sinful natures. Uh, Lord, we all deal with sin. We all struggle. We all fall short of the glory of you. God, would you just help us turn away from that sin today? Would you help get us cleansed so that we can live an abundant life for you? In Jesus' name, amen. You stand with us. Amazing love. You come if you need to come. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were 